Well, there is a, a story about two shopkeepers uh, who were bitter rivals to one another. And these two shopkeepers uh, had their stores directly across the street from one another. So, as the rivalry would, would have it, they would stand in the, the doorway of their shop and they would count customers as they came in. And they would also not just count theirs, they would count their customers so that at the end of the day, the one who had more customers would smile in glee over what they just did, what they just triumphed. And so this is the way their life worked all the time. It was, it was measuring today's success by who had the most customers. So one day, an angel of God comes to one of the shopkeepers and says, God has sent me to teach you a lesson. And so what I'm going to do for you as a gift for you, I will give you anything you wish, anything your heart desires, but just know that the storekeeper across the road will get double. So what that means is if you, if you want unbelievable wealth, it's yours. But just know that they will get double. They will get twice as much as what I'm giving you. If you want, if you want fame, know that they will get double the fame. If, if you want a long and happy life, just know that they will live twice as long as you do. And so the, the storekeeper was frustrated, almost discouraged, and then a light bulb went off in his head and said, I know, strike me blind in one eye. And, and the angel of the Lord goes, no, that's not, that's not how, do it. <laughs> do it. Today, we're going to talk about the rottenness of humanity. <laughs> we're going to talk about something so ugly that no one wants to admit Today, we're going to talk about envy. Envy. Envy is, is, a, is a pretty ugly thing if, when you see it happen like that. Uh, last week, we, we were in chapter 3. Last week, we heard this, the most beautiful verse in all the scriptures, uh, um, arguably. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believed should have eternal life, right? Like, this is like, oh, and they lived happily ever after. This is your verse. This is it. Everything is right. Wrong. So today, we're going to look at envy, joy, and the anti-hero. Envy, joy, and the anti-hero. That's the name of the sermon as well. Um, and so, envy. Envy is something that no one confesses. In my, I don't know how many years of, of pastoring, I have never, ever, ever had anyone confess to me the sin of envy. However, I've had people confess the most heinous of sins. They've confessed their lies. They've confessed uh, self-mutilation. They've confessed their addictions. They've confessed uh, a whole host of sexual sins, but never, ever, ever has anyone ever confessed envy to me. Why? I think envy is one of those embarrassing sins. <laughs> it, 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 it almost feels disgusting. There's, there's, there seems to be nothing redeeming about envy. Um, you can think of the seven deadly sins, and, and yes, remember, deadly sins. They will kill you, but 
you can find the reason someone decided to go down that path after that sin. You can look at lust and go, okay, they wanted pleasure. You can look at gluttony and say, okay, they wanted a good meal. You can look at sloth and say, okay, they wanted a good night's sleep. But envy, there is nothing redeeming about envy. There's no hope. There's no, no potential good thing coming out of envy. And so there, there, it's almost embarrassing to confess because what we are confessing when we confess envy is we are confessing how miserable we are. I want to confess to you how sad I am, that I'm sad with myself, I'm sad with my lot in life, I'm miserable at who I am today. And so I want us to look at the disciples here, not the disciples of Jesus, the disciples of John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist, it's kind of like Chance the Rapper or Cedric the Entertainer, the the thing afterwards describes who they are, right? (laughs) And so... (laughs) John the Baptist, just like Chance the Rapper, exactly like him. But what it, what it is saying here is that baptizing is what he does, right? John the Baptist, that's, that's what he does. That's what he's known for. That's his shtick, right? That is who he, think, he, he sees, the world sees him as. But then in verse 26, they, the disciples, came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing, and everyone is going to him. <laughs> so without me even giving you a definition of envy, you can see it in this text, right? You, you know what envy is just with, that, with, with just seeing it, because you can see them going like, well, baptism was our thing, and now Jesus comes in, and he's baptizing too? Like, the nerve. <laughs> you see, what, you see their, their frustration here. Everyone's going to him. And do you think everyone was actually going to Jesus? I think envy also makes us very unreasonable. Makes us believe things that aren't actually true. That everyone's going to Jesus? I don't think that's true about everyone going to Jesus. And so envy kind of makes us crazy. Still, I have not given you a definition of envy, but we know it. We know it when we see it. We know it when we smell it. We know it when we hear it. And that's the thing about envy. Usually, everyone knows it except for the person who's struggling with that sin. Usually, everyone can see it on you except for you. It's kind of like the person who has some body odor. Everyone smells it but, but you. And so you're walking around and everyone's going, ooh, that's how we see envy. We know it when we see it. But for those of us who may be that person who may not know that we have it, let me give us a definition of envy. Envy is unhappiness at the success of others and it's pleasure at the suffering of others. And so it's unhappiness at their success and it is pleasure at their suffering. And so maybe a simple way of saying this is this. I'm sad when they're glad, and I'm glad when they're sad. I'm sad when they're happy, but I'm happy when they're sad. You can, you can feel the evil in envy. It just sounds so bad. You, you can feel how ugly it is. It, it's, it's our, the values of our world just turned upside down. Uh, there, there's a, a woman named uh, Irma Bombeck who says it this way. says, the heart of envy is this. Lord, if you cannot make me thin, at least make my friends look fat. <laughs> Anyone prayed that? <laughs> Lord, if you can't make me thin, just make my friends fat. 
<laughs> maybe you haven't prayed that specific prayer, <laughs> but maybe you've prayed something like that. Just, just average it out, maybe, right? <laughs> it's so envy, what it is, it's always in relation to someone else. It is always in a, a more personal community. So usually it's someone who's in close proximity to you. You're not envious of someone way over there on the other side of the world. It's someone you know that you're envious of. It's someone in that personal community. And so you could see, maybe you heard someone get a new iPhone and you're like, envy is not, oh, I want a new iPhone. Envy is, I want your iPhone. You can, you can see this with kids. Kids who have hundreds of toys who have all of the toys in the world, the toy they want most is the one their sibling has. Like, <laughs> no, I want that toy. You have all of these toys over here. This is the one toy you want. This is envy, right? We, we see it in little kids, but do we see it in ourselves? It's always in relation to someone else. And so envy, with envy, there's three people always at, at work in envy. There's you, there's me, and the third person is the person I wish I was. The third person is the person I want to be. So the reason we are envious is because we realize I'm comparing myself to you, and I don't like where I measure up. And so the reason envy is there is because of that third person. I'm mad about where I'm at in life. And so what envy is, envy is anti-community. Envy ruins community. It's you, me, the person I wish I was, and since I'm not that, I'm angry at you, and I wish you would fall. I hope you fall, I hope you lose, because when you lose, I win. And when I win, you lose. This is envy. This is the sickness of envy. It, it, no wonder we have a hard time confessing this sin, because it is, it's just sick. It is just brimming with hatred. No one wants to confess this. It's, it's what we call a capital sin. It's a sin that all these other sins come from. And so you gossip because you're envious after someone. You sow discord and hatred because you're envious of someone. It, the reason envy is such a sick sin is because we, we're embarrassed at who we've become when we struggle with envy. Like, we would never do those sins, we'd say. I would never do that, and yet I did. Because I just didn't want them to succeed. I just didn't want them to have that joy. So it, it makes us... It makes us someone we don't really want to be, and that's how it rots the bones. It makes, us, it makes us someone we don't even like. And so let me ask you this morning, who do you envy? Whose success do you resent? Usually, again, it's someone in close proximity. Maybe another way of trying to figure out who this person is is if someone shares good news with you, are you happy for them? And someone says, hey, I got a new job offer, is your first response, I'm so happy for you? Or is it, why didn't I get the offer? You see that? That, 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 that may be getting a little too close to home for some of us, right? <laughs> uh, how are we actually, how are we doing at celebrating someone else's successes? Due to a power outage, we were unable to record 10 minutes of the service. We apologize for the inconvenience and hope you enjoy the rest of the sermon. You ever given a gift to someone else or a friend, a loved one? You go, oh, I love that. I love giving that gift to that person. What is that? At its root, what is that? At the base level, that is love. Because you rejoice in when they rejoice. You love them so much. And you want to see them be happy. 
But does love rejoice only when both are rejoicing, when they're rejoicing and I'm rejoicing? Or can I actually rejoice even if it doesn't benefit me? You can think about, you know, maybe parents who are about to be empty nesters, who, who really do love their kids and want to see them go and thrive, but it's also a sad thing that they're leaving the parents. Can, can you actually love your kids enough to send them off? Or me as a pastor, if, if you get a call to say, I need to go to, I'm, I'm, I'm taking my calling to, to Chicago, I'm doing what God's called me to do, are we going to bemoan and be sad about that, or are we going to joyfully celebrate you, you going and fulfilling your calling? You know, on one hand, I, I am sad. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> but at the same time, we want what's best for you. And so we will joyfully celebrate you going towards your calling because when, you're, when you are fulfilling that calling, when you are feeling the joy of what you're supposed to be doing, we feel joy. Like, that's awesome. We want to celebrate that. And so I think we all have to check those motivations, myself included, in finding that joy. So if you struggle, though, to actually be joyful for someone else, you could say, yeah, I know it's better to give than receive. I know I should be joyful for them. But like, I really don't like this person. I really want the worst for them. <laughs> it's hard to hear me just say, well, just be happy for them. Like, that doesn't work. So what do you do then? Well, we talked about envy. We've talked about joy. Now let's talk about the anti-hero. How about you? I really love anti-hero movies and TV shows. Uh, you can think of what an anti-hero is. It's someone who's not particularly good morally, um, <laughs> but you also root for, oddly. Uh, and so it's someone who, who's kind of a, kind of a bad person, uh, doesn't do things great, doesn't do things right, but usually either uh, near the end of their life or at their death, they, ha- they do one redeeming quality. They do one redeeming thing. You can think of like Venom, uh, <laughs> you know, real people, uh, The Punisher, <laughs> uh, let's get out of these <laughs> superhero movies, uh, Walter White, uh, you're like, not a lot redeeming there, but you know, maybe in the end there's something redeeming there, okay? Questionable again, I know. Uh, <laughs> But these are people who are, are not really heroes, but they're not the villains. And so they're, they're kind of, because they do something redemptive at the end or something like that, you go, well, they're not the hero, they're not the villain, they're the anti-hero. Um, you know, you can think of Samson in the Bible. Samson was someone who was just not a good dude, not a lot redeeming about him, but in his death, there's something good about him. He's, he, he'd probably be a good anti-hero from Scripture. But John the Baptist, he's not what you would typically think of as an anti-hero because he's actually a pretty good dude. He actually, actually loves people well. He's actually very generous. Yeah, he eats bug juice for breakfast, but like, <laughs> we'll give him a pass on that. <laughs> but I call him the anti-hero because John is almost allergic to any praise or support as him as the Savior. He is almost allergic to any credit to him as the Savior, as the Christ. And so he is anti-hero in that way. You can think back earlier in John 1 where it talks about John saying like to Jesus, I can't even unstrap his, his sandals. I, I, he's so much a- allergic to it. And the disciples come to him and they're like, John, giving's down about 50%. What are we going to do? <laughs> I think maybe you should become like a Christian influencer. Maybe wear some skinny jeans. And, and John's like, no, no. Not at all. He would never do that. He would never do that. Verse 30 says, he must become greater, I must become less. Or another translation says, he must increase, I must decrease. 
And so the solution to our envy is to embrace who Jesus is. And when we embrace who Jesus is, envy loses its power. And so as he increases, the third person decreases. It's not that who you are becomes less. It, it, it's the shame for who you want to be becomes less. And so I'm not worried about who I'm not because I'm fixed on who Jesus is. And so this is just radical. Normally when we think like, how do I become joyful? What do I need to do? I need to get things. I need to get stuff. I need to earn more. I need to, I need to have more, more, more t- money, more time, more whatever. That's how I get joy. And we can think of someone who wins the lottery and we think that's where life is at. If I could just win the lottery, that's how I'll be happy. But studies have shown to be true that the, those who have won the lottery are more miserable than anyone else. They have four times higher rate of bankruptcy and suicide and murder and divorce. The chances are you will actually die broke and unhappy when you win the lottery. Isn't this wild? This is, this is the, the way the world works. We think that's where life is, when I exalt myself, when I get more. And then the whole world just gets flipped upside down. When we make ourselves the hero, we lose. When we make it about us, we lose. Instead, when Jesus is increasing, our joy increases. But when we increase, our joy decreases and our bones rot. Everything seems to be backwards in this text because the way up is the way down. To get joy, you have to give, it away, give the praise away. When you want that affection and that love, you have to give it away to find joy. And this is just anti the way the world works. It's anti-culture. It's anti-American dream. It's anti-our natural inclinations. John is the anti-hero because all of his eyes are fixed on the true hero. The true hero. In verse 31, John says, the one who comes from above is above all. This isn't fake praise about Jesus. He knows, I could tell you a lot about Jesus, but I would rather you actually enjoy him and commune with him. And I could say the same thing as a pastor. I love talking to you about Jesus, but I would much rather you spend time communing with Jesus. It's so much, that's, that's where our joy is at. And the, John is saying, this, this bride, this marriage imagery, this is something that's all throughout the Old Testament. That Israel was the bride. But there's an the imagery there, not just the bride, but, a, but a, an estranged bride. You can, look at, you can think of Hosea 2. 2, 16 through 20, that infamous passage where God says, and in that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the creeping things on the ground. And I will abolish the bow and the sword and the war from the land and I will make you lie down in safety and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. When you are loved, when you know that you're loved, and when you know that you're cared for, you have no reason to envy. When you know that deep in your bones that you're loved and you're cared for, and that he loves you that deeply, there is no reason to envy. Like, <laughs> there's no reason. Because I think many times we think, if, if God loves them, that means he doesn't love me. But what, what we see in this text here is that when God loves someone else, it doesn't mean he loves us less. It's not like chess, where there's winners and losers. 
When others get God's love, doesn't mean we get any less. It's a, it's, we celebrate that. Verse 34, for the one whom God has sent speaks the word of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. <laughs> without limit. Oh, I love that. Because you get the Spirit doesn't mean I get less of the Spirit. When you get the Spirit, I praise God. <laughs> This is, not, this is not a win or loser game here. We want to celebrate what God has done here. The only one who loses is if we reject Christ. And maybe you have rejected Christ. Maybe you've rejected him multiple times. Maybe you feel like you're that unfaithful spouse. And you think, how could I ever come back to Christ? But that is the picture of the Old Testament, of the unfaithful spouse that God is passionately seeking after passionately seeking after. And so the love of God, the grace of God, the greatness of our Savior, the real hero, the first, the last, the kinsman redeemer, the one who promised to us in the garden, the one who is greater than we can ever comprehend, tells us that when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He is coming for you. He loves you that, that much. And so we are the cheating spouse. We're not the hero. We're not even the anti-hero. In this story, we're the wandering bride that John is excited to introduce to Jesus and celebrate at this wedding. That's who we are. And so for me, the best part of the wedding is when that bride starts walking down the aisle and all eyes are fixed on the bride. And I glance over at the groom who's just in tears. How much he loves his bride. Brothers and sisters, that's how Christ sees you. The bride coming down the aisle with so much love for you. Well, all of us, the best man, the maid of honor, the whole congregation is looking at the bride. We're celebrating that, but look at what Jesus is looking at. He's looking at you. Even, even when we were sinners, Christ died for you. He loves you that much. And so verse 36 says, for whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And you think... No way God could love me. No way he could love me and forgive me for what I've done. He's saying, whoever believes, whoever, whoever, whatever you have done, whatever your past is, he's saying, if you believe in his life, his death, and his resurrection, that it's enough, that it's more than enough, that you will have life. And so rejoice and believe in that Savior. As you, as you exalt and lift up the real hero, your envy starts to fade away. When you know how loved and deeply loved you are, and you, you start to love others well. If I know how deeply loved I am, I, I, I can love someone else well. My, my love bank gets full, and I can love others well. And when I realize that as well, I don't see others' successes as a shot or judgment upon me. It's something I can, I can, I can rejoice in as well. And so today, turn to Jesus, fix your eyes on the cross, Pray he increases and that you decrease. And look for someone to celebrate today. Write an encouraging note to someone to celebrate them. And if you still struggle with that envy, I just say I encourage you to maybe take a month off from some of these apps. We are missing out on too much joy <laughs> that Christ has promised with us. Let's pray.